Hello. So as you can quickly see, I am not Nicole. However, now is the time to do the woot woot. So, okay. I, I, you know, I just can't get into it like that. Y'all are great, and she can do it, but I, I can't. Any hair would be a improvement. You know? Any hair would be an improvement. So, um, for those of you who don't know how we do offering, there are boxes here and here. How you like my Vanna White skills? And I don't know. So, we don't pass a plate. We don't ask you to give under compulsion. We just ask you to be led and do what the Lord says to do. And so, if you want to put something under the Lord's direction in the boxes, that's what we ask that you do. Um, the tithes and offerings thing that I want to talk about tonight, I, I, I got from Keith Moore. And, and Brian was at the Southwest Believers uh, Convention this, uh, this year. And Keith spoke twice. And Keith's one of those people that when he talks, you know, what was it? When, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Remember that? Well, when Keith Moore talks, I listen because, I mean, he's just such an anointed man of God. It's, it's good stuff always. So bear with me. It's going to take a minute, but, but we're going to get to where we're going, so just, just hang tight. Now, this is in the easy-to-read version, so I don't even bother trying to, to put it up on the screen. I, I, I'm not real bright sometimes, and King James kind of gets me lost in the these and the thous and the thus and the forthwiths and... So we're going to cut to a little easier to read translation. On the first day of the sixth month of the second year that Darius was king of Persia, Haggai received a message from the Lord. The message was for Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah, and Joshua was the high priest. All right, got all that right. This is the message. This is what the Lord all-powerful said. The people say it is not yet the right time to build the Lord's temple. Okay, the Lord's temple had not been built. Knocked down earlier, not been built yet, right? Again, Haggai received a message from the Lord. Haggai spoke this message. You people think the right time has come for you to live in nice houses. You live in houses with beautiful wooden paneling on the walls, but the Lord's house is still in ruins. Now, the Lord All-Powerful says... Think about what is happening. Okay, here's a message, just a little aside. This one's free, like Brian says. If the Lord tells you to think about what's happening, think about what's happening. <laughs> you have planted many seeds, but you have gathered only a few crops. You have food to eat, but not enough to get full. You have something to drink, but not enough to get drunk. You have some clothes to wear, but not enough to keep warm. You earn a little money, but you don't know where it all goes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's as though there is a hole in your pocket. The Lord All-Powerful said, Think about what you are doing. There it is again. Go up to the mountains, get the wood, and build the temple. Then I will be pleased with the temple, and I will be honored. This is what the Lord said. The Lord All-Powerful said, You people look for a big... No, I don't want to download another version. Lord help. Okay. The Lord All-Powerful said, You people look for a big harvest, but when you go to gather crops, there is only a little grain. So you bring the grain home, and then I send a wind that blows it all away. Why is this happening? Because my house is still in ruins, while each of you runs home to take care of your own house. This is why the sky holds back its dew, and why the earth holds back its crops. 
et cetera, et cetera. So if you'll bear with me, I want to real quick go into the NASB version, which says, bear with me. Consider your ways. There it is again. You have sown much, but harvest little. So my question to you, is it possible to sow a lot and harvest little? We talk a lot about sowing and reaping in Boomerang. And we're one of the few churches that talk a lot about sowing and reaping that I'm aware of. Now, you know, in, in word of faith circles and, and faith people, word people, I'm not going to dance, I'll tell you that. Uh, we talk about sowing and reaping, and, and it's a big deal. And, and this church does great. For the, the size that we are, we do give. And we have a heart for giving. But it's possible to sow and not reap what you think you should. These people were expecting a big harvest, and they didn't get it. And in essence, they were building their own empire. They were not building the Lord's empire. They were worried about their own house and not the Lord's house. Now, here's another thing. Some word of faith folks have kind of gotten off track with the idea that, hey, I'm going to give money to the church and I'm going to get rich. That's not what it's all about. That's a big, big, big screw up. Now, Matthew 6, 33 is, is the corollary to, to this whole passage. And, and it says, and you've heard it so many times, we'll do it in the NASB, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Who did the seeking? It's implied you, right? You, you seek. All these things will be added will be added. Now, y'all English majors probably get this better than I do, but if something will be added, did you do it? Huh-uh. Somebody else did it. Who did it? God does it. Okay, so faith, right? You got to have faith because this don't make sense. But if it sounded familiar about how you put stuff in your pocket and there must be a hole in it because you never accumulate anything and it ain't working out, so like Dr. Phil said, how's that working out for you? Not too good. Not too good. Let's look at this same passage in the easy to read. Matthew six thirty three. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Then he will give you all these other things you need. Friends, that's huge. When I got a hold of this with, with, with Brother Moore's message, I mean, it was like somebody hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Brother Moore says that when we get to heaven, the first two or three years, the equivalent of earth years that we're there, we're going to be going, oh. <laughs> we didn't get it here. Seek first his kingdom and his rush. Pastor Brian's got a message on the kingdom and seeking the kingdom. Go back and listen to that. Figure out what that means. There's so much that involved, is involved. Right now, where is God? He's here, right? He's right here. 
And he's right there and right there and right there. And if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then he's inside of you right now. And I don't know everybody's story in the room right now. I suspect that probably all of us have made that leap. But that's the first step. And I'm not going to get up here and have an altar call, Brian. Don't, 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 don't freak out. But when you make that transition, that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. It's not a, well, I got me some fire insurance now. I'm good to go. I'll live my life, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm on the straight and narrow, boys. Remember, uh, old brother, where art thou? That's not it. There, when you made a preacher laugh, you've done something. There's a whole thing we're supposed to do here. Jesus says, your will be done, Father, here as it is in heaven, Right? Right? So we're supposed to be doing things that, that bring that about here. Not just get saved, check it off, and get ready to go home. I, was it Tara that said last week, if that was the case, we'd be gone. Yeah. Right? That's not it. So we have our part to do. And the way to sum it up is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his rightness. And all these things will be added. You don't have to do it. He's going to do it for you. And that is so awesome. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight for each person here. We thank you for each gift, each giver. God, we recognize that the gifts that are given to this church are a reflection and a part of each individual life. But, Lord, we want to lay our lives down for you. Lord, when we say that you are the Lord of our life, you are the director of our life, we're not just saying it out of our mouth. It's coming from the overflow of our heart because we want to be yours. We want to live the life that you have for us. We want to seek your kingdom first. God, I just pray that you give us the faith to take the next little step, every person in this room, the next little step to move in faith to seek your kingdom first, knowing, Lord, that your word is true and everything contained in here is true and that you're going to add everything that we need because we trust you. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was good stuff. So, how many people have ever been sowing and you haven't been reaping? Sowing and it hasn't been the harvest that it needed to be. I know I have. And uh, it really has to do not with as much of what you give, but as what is your heart and where is your heart, you know? Um, are we building our house before we consider the things of God? It's an important thing to look at because that means that you can give a lot of stuff. Because if our heart is not in the right place, even the time that we give that we're sowing, it has no, no overflow to us, which is so important. The overflow is important to each person that we're around. So, amen. Thank you, Stephen. That's awesome. So, well, praise God. Um, Oh, da, da, da. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Just seeking the Lord here for a second. Is that all right with y'all? Yeah. Good. Because we were going to do it, whether it was or not. Sorry. <laughs> we, well, we were already in it. So um, let's see here. You want to, uh, J.D., you want to do that now or wait? What do you feel like? Go ahead. All right. Well, he's got a testimony, I know. So let's hear it. 
Let's hear that testimony. Now, bear with me. This may take a minute or two to get there. Just bear with me. Um, I'm going to go back just a little bit, uh, back when we had that service from Brian at Philly with the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. And so um, it was during that time when I was able to really feel, feel God for the first time. And, and it was just an amazing thing. And it was during that time that, I, that I'd asked for something. And uh, left it up with God. Um, and like I said, trust me, I'll get there in a second. Um, let's get forward. Well, no, I'm going to go with it this way. Um, for the past couple of months, I've been kind of absent on Wednesdays because I've been going through a physical therapy place. And during that time, I'd started slipping and falling down and not doing the things that I should have been doing. Why? Because I wasn't around godly people. I wasn't around the people I needed to be around. I was around the wrong crowd because of where I was, not by my choice, but because of what was going on. And that plays a key part into what's, what I'm going to get to in a minute. Um, fast forward to today. Um, my phone rings this morning. Didn't recognize the number. Who, didn't even know who called us. And I'm going to let that go to voicemail. Went to voicemail. I waited a little bit, and I finally said, I'm going to check that voicemail. Check the voicemail. And this guy's on the phone. He says, I, I got a proposition for you. I need you to call me back. Yeah, it's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Sure. <laughs> Blow it off. Later on this afternoon, I get a phone call from somebody else. And uh, this person says, hey, uh, you getting strange phone calls today? Yeah. Yeah, I got a strange phone call from this particular place. Well, you might want to call them back. Okay. Sure. What it was, it was Eastside Motors. And God has blessed me with a car. Amen. <laughs> he blessed me with a car today. Hallelujah. What makes it so much is that I have much stuff slipped. That God loves me so much that even though I'm slipping, and if, even though I'm picking myself up and dusting myself off, that he loves me enough to give, still give me a car. Yeah. You know, I'd asked for one back a few weeks, I mean, back when Brian Field, and I was like, wow, he loves me enough. Yeah. Yeah. That if you, for me, it was just, it was, it was profound, and it was just an amazing thing that I was so in shock. Nobody has ever done anything, and God supplies what you need. And if you, I have been, it's been picking my, picking my jaw off the floor all <laughs> since that happened. It was one of those, because when he said what he said, I was kind of like, I'm sorry, did you put it away? <laughs> it's paid for. I don't owe anything. I don't have to pay a dime. Just come sign some papers and I get to drive it off the lot. Holy wow. <laughs> I didn't see that. And it was out of the blue. I mean, it was just, what, I, I wouldn't even, would even know my mind today. I had no clue. I was, I was dealing with other stuff. And God shows his love today for me. And I can't stay enough. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. That's my test. So J.D. sent me a message. He was like, I don't know who to thank. I said, thank Jesus. And uh, praise God, because he provided not only to you, but he provided the means for whoever it was. And um, that's just, it's awesome. So praise God. And, and the point is very solid about, you know, even in the midst of me messing up, God still loves me. You know, that's exactly what he did when he sent his son, because the whole world at that moment was messed up. All of us were messed up when he sent his son. 
And see, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance or leads people to change. All right? It's the goodness of God. And I know that one of the times that I was blessed the most and my life really started to turn around was when I was messing up and God poured out love on me like I'd never had it before. And all of a sudden, I saw God in a different way. And the next time that I wanted to go and mess up again, what I, what I noticed was I didn't want to do it as much. And I saw that the power of his love manifested in my life, empowered me to do what he told that adulterous woman, go and sin no more. Yeah. You see? It's the power of his love, even when you're messing up, that all of a sudden something happens in your head and in your heart, and you say, golly, Lord, you are so worth it. So, amen. Praise God. We're, we are shouting hallelujah with you. Amen. That's awesome stuff. So, glory. Yeah. He said in that moment, he's realizing that it is not okay to keep straddling the line because if God loves him like that, then it's all in for him. So, amen. Amen. Well, um, you can turn to James chapter 4 and verse 6. We've been in a series on Wednesday night called Humility and Grace, and it's been great. It's really been good. If you, We've done two. If you miss those, go back to the archives. Uh, boomerangchurch.org slash video and watch uh, part one and part two for sure. They were really, really powerful and um, really strong tonight. We'll be that way as well. And um, if you need the notes, uh, all of these notes are at boomerangchurch.org slash notes. And if you're watching online or watching the archives, all of those notes are out to your right. That takes talent to do that backwards. All right, so <laughs> just so y'all know. Um, so anyway, those notes are there for you. You can look them. If you have a tablet or a phone, you can pull those up right now and follow the notes with me. And tonight we're going to start around page three uh, on those notes. But um, James 4, 6 says this, But he, God, gives us a greater grace. And what that means is that's a grace that goes above and beyond what you're facing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what its name is. And just let that sink in. That's what it's talking about. He gives you a grace that's bigger than that. Well, that's, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? How many people need a grace bigger than your problems? Yeah. I got an amen on that or... Uh, several hundred. All right, so, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, uh, what it's saying here is, God is opposed to pride. And so, when we set ourselves in pride, we all, this is already a set, known thing, okay? His character, by itself, is opposed to, to pride. So when we set ourselves in pride, it's not necessarily God coming down and saying, I'm against you now. It's the fact that you went and said, I'm going against God. Yeah. We set ourselves in that place, but praise God, he gives grace to the humble. And what kind of grace does he give in context here? Greater grace. So when you have a problem that's going on in your life on any scale, 
small, big, whatever, middle, does not matter. When you have any kind of problem going on in your life and you need grace to be greater than that, what should be the first thing that we should move to? We should move to humility. Humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves before God. It's what we need. It's what this church needs. It's what this country needs. It's what this city needs. It's what your family needs, what your household needs. We need to be humble. Okay? Now, humility is not just saying that, oh, I'm just filthy rags in front of you, God. That's not saying that. That's what the way the devil takes that and twists that. It's saying, that scripture there is saying, your righteousness alone is dirty, filthy rags. Okay? A lot of people, the devil likes to keep us as dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. But God says this, that when you repent, confess and repent, I remember your sins no more. And he says, I see you in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, I see you as the righteousness of God in Christ. So in other words, you're no longer dirty, filthy rags. You are the righteousness of Jesus when you get born again. So when God looks at you, does he see any stain, any spot, any blemish? Absolutely not. Now see, when we start coming to that revelation, all of a sudden, the devil's ploys and tricks and deceptions, they, they start getting holes poked all in them. And they don't hold water anymore. And they don't stand up. And a lot of times in that moment, we have people that just, they're like, whoa. Time out, life looks totally different now because you start to realize who you are in Christ. All right, so we see this on a regular basis where people kind of come to themselves and like, wait a minute, something is different from the way that I have been living life. All right, but it comes back to humility. All right, so a lot of times I've heard it preached that humility is, you know, like, oh Lord, I'm so awful, I'm so, you're so great, and I'm so low. Humility, true humility, is not that. True humility is taking what God says about you and humbling yourself to believe it just the way that he said it. And he said that Christ was the firstborn of many brethren. He said that I want you to go and sin no more. I want you to mature and look like Christ and do the things and more that he did. This is all his words. That's true humility. True humility is not backing down and letting the devil tell you how awful you were when God doesn't remember that. The question is, if God doesn't remember your sins, why should you bring them back up? Why should you remember them? Are you trying to see what is that now? That's pride. I know more than God knows even about my past. And where are we now? When you start believing some of that stuff, where are you with God? You're opposed. And then you're now all of a sudden I can I can hear the light bulbs clicking. Oh, snap. <laughs> uh-uh, for real? I've been doing this for that long? Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Now you know. Now you can turn those things around. Yeah. So how important is humility? What we talked about the last couple of weeks is 
All of us, we don't do things just because we know that they're wrong. If we're doing something wrong, which is generally a pretty large portion of our life, it's not because we think that they're wrong. We think that they're right. We're just deceived. So the trap in that is you're not doing something for the wrong reasons. You're doing it for the right reasons. It's just the wrong thing. But there's a trap there because you don't think you're doing wrong. So how can you get out of that trap? That's where humility comes in. Without humility, you stay in that place of mediocre all of your life and on this earth when you're called number one to be an ambassador. You never are an ambassador to the fullness that God wanted you to be because humility wasn't present to break you out of that trap. Okay, So that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. One of the things that we said was pride buries potential. But humility multiplies potential. You, what potential do you have inside of you? Well, I'm going to be sarcastic here. Or, or It's just a little thing called the Son of God. That's the potential that you have. Inside of you is the potential of Jesus Christ. So how much potential do you have and how much do you want to take it and let it come out to the fullness that God designed before time began? Pride buries it, but humility unleashes it, multiplies it. Yep. Amen? Amen? So let's uh, turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4 now. Now, Here's the thing about humility. This is what we're talking about tonight. Humility solves most of your problems. I'm going to throw it out there. What I'm going to tell you tonight, how, how many of you would like to have 90% of your problem solved just like that? Anybody? want? In my opinion, what we're talking about tonight is 90% of the problems that people have. 90%. I'm not just throwing that out there. I did, you know, just kind of surveyed, you know, everybody that comes to me and the issues that they're going through and why they're there and how they got there and how they get out of it. I would say, in my opinion, 90%. So how would you like for 90%, again, of your problems to go away just like that? Then pay attention tonight. All right. So let, here's, you know, when uh, Pastor Chris came a few months ago, he talked about how the seed of the word is sown, but then the devil immediately comes to steal that word. Now, I got really tickled, and I sent a message to the leadership team, the ELT, and I said, so, like two weeks ago, y'all both preached, on two weeks in a row, y'all talked about love thy neighbor. Well, guess what's happened since they talked about love thy neighbor? I mean, it's like, rah, 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 rah. everybody, like everybody's neighbor all of a sudden lost their minds, you know? And it's like, I don't want to love my neighbor, you know? I want to I won't be mad at my neighbor. And I mean, it's, why? Why is that? Do you think that just happened? No. It's an absolute plan of the devil to come and steal the seed of the word. Because there's so much power in loving your neighbor. Yeah. Everything, I think Deb said it, everything hinges on this command. Everything in the word hinges on love God and love thy neighbor. Everything. So how important is it? Pretty important. Pretty important. So what does the enemy do? 
He's already pre-planned. Man, they talk about something good. I'm going to go, let, let's go see how much they believe it. <laughs> Try to take it. Yeah. Let's see if they believe what they're preaching. Yeah. I'm not just talking about the LD. I'm talking, let's just see if they hear, believe what they're hearing. Yeah. I mean, it's like everywhere, just, ah, you know, like that. Why? You know, so a lot of times what happens is, uh, Barrett, will you come here? So a lot of times what will happen is this. Somebody will have a disagreement, and so let's say I have a disagreement with Barrett. And so I walk away, and she's like, mm, and I'm like, mm, you know. And so both of us, and then we go home, and we think about it, and we're both, mm, and, and, so, and then we're like, well, it's not funny. Don't laugh. You're supposed to be mad. Mm. So, all right, so, <laughs> so then you go home, and you're like, mm, I, and, and, and then... Somebody comes to you and tries to be holy. Well, I know that you're, that you're mad right now, but you, what do you, you really need to forgive them. And you're like, and here's what we're thinking. <clears throat> you just don't understand what they did. That's the nice version. That's the nice version. <laughs> All right, so you just don't understand. So what we have is this. It's like we take that moment and it's like, this is mine. It only happened to me. Nobody else is going through this. All right, thank you. But here's what, as a pastor, I get to see. It was Barrett, and it was you, and 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 you, all at the same time. That's not a single attack. That's coordination. And it's coordination in the same area right after it was preached. So the word tells us to be wise about the devil's devices, to be wise about his scheme. So what you think you're going through that you think it's just you, most of the time it ain't just you. It's everybody. Guess I wasn't even here for both of those messages. Guess who else got attacked on it? But I did listen to them, amen. I listened to the archives. But I got attacked on it too. Now listen, it is not a sin to be attacked and be tempted. Isn't that good? Good news. It's not a sin to be attacked and be tempted. But the devil will make you feel like it is. He'll attack you. He'll be like, he'll do something to you through somebody. And then you'll get upset because you're tempted to not love thy neighbor. And then he'll say, I can't believe that you would think like that. And then you feel like you've sinned because that thought crossed your mind. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to dwell there. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about tonight. You notice, you know, what did we talk about on Sunday? Going all in? Guess what's been happening this week? Guess what we've been getting attacked in? People going all in. How many people on Sunday heard that message all in and you were like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, it was, man, it moved you, right? How many people have been attacked on, on just how all-in are you this week, right? It's not coincidence. It's coordination. And it's not your fault that you're getting attacked. It is your fault if you dwell and stay there. That's where it becomes the issue. If you don't do the right thing with it. So, in this, Philippians 4, 8 and 9, I want you to see something. It says, finally, brother, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report. If there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell there. So let's look at that list for just a second. All right. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, Good repute means good report, excellence, and worthy of praise. Now, worthy of praise kind of wraps all those up. In other words, if there's something worthy of praise, it's in this list, okay? So that's a good way to just kind of lay it out there, all right? He says, if any of those things dwell there, stay there. Think on these things is what the King James says, right? Now, here's the thing. Would you call me just if I said, do this, 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 and this, and then I throw the exact opposite to you, and I'm like, <laughs> look, watch her try to handle this. Yeah. So here's the question. God tells us to dwell on these things. How wrong would it be for God to then throw in a negative? Yep. To give you a negative thought? Yep. Right. Would that be a just God? No. No, that'd be really kind of cruel, right? So here's my question. Is there anything negative in that list? So if you have any negative thought whatsoever, is it from God? It can't be. Otherwise, it would compromise his justness. It would compromise his character. He'd be telling you to handle something and holding you accountable to handle something that he put in your life. It's incorrect. So now that makes things very, very clear. If you have something negative in your mind, where did it come from? It's either one, your flesh... Or two, it's demonic, it's the devil. And it's not supposed to be there. And you should never give it life or power through your own authority. Alright, well that clears up more issues and problems than you can begin to shake a stick at. I'm telling you, it is the source of the majority of our problems. I would say 90%. Because if you'll find, here's the thing, um, so... I, let, me, let me just go through this. I'll, I'll, uh, how many negative thoughts will be from God? None. So who are negative thoughts from? Every one of them. The devil. And even if it's from your flesh, the flesh was originally tied to the corruption in the devil. So even then, the root of that is Satan. Okay? So how many negative thoughts should we keep? I mean for two seconds. One second. As soon as we recognize it, what should we be doing with it? Getting rid of it. How many negative thoughts should we give power? None. So what do you do with negative thoughts? You throw them away instantly. Now we're going to look at that for just a brief second. But let's go back and let's look now at verse 9. It says, all right, first of all, it says, if anything worthy of praise and all those other great things, 
Dwell on these things. And then verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, if you have leaders in your life, then they should be handling these things well, or else they probably shouldn't be leading you, right? They should, you, you should see them taking negative things and instantly turning them into a positive, all right? That doesn't mean that they'll do it perfect, and sometimes they're going to mess up, and when they do, please, you know, give them mercy and give them forgiveness. But, if, you know, on a regular basis... The fruit of taking their thoughts captive should be good and correct. So here it is, but here's what I want you to see. Paul is showing us an example of how all Christians should be. In other words, we should be so good, we should be so good at taking thoughts captive that other believers can look at every single one of us and see the example that Christ wants. So we shouldn't just look at that and hold the leader accountable. We should look at that and say, I need to take this thing up to a level where people can look at me too. Whether I'm called to be a pastor or not, I should take it up to a level where I take my thoughts captive and I handle them so well in Christ that other people can look at me and I can serve as an example that will help them to grow. Well, that's a whole nother level. Amen. Praise God. The whole row said, that's right. Amen. <laughs> Glory. All right. So what do we do with negative thoughts? We throw them away instantly. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're going to look at it in several translations. It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. All right, so what does that mean? Now, every thought, what we're doing is if it's a positive thought and worthy of praise, then we are going to go with that because it's worthy of God's glory. We're going to go and we are going to glorify it, magnify it, uplift that. But if it's a negative thought, every single one of them that's negative is against the knowledge of God. Every one of them. Let let me just ask this question. How many people have had a negative thought this week? How many people had a negative thought with an hour of church tonight? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just seeing if I was preaching to the right crowd or not. I just wanted to check. All right. Um, We're supposed to take every thought and bring it to a give glory to God thought. We're to take every thought, be it negative or positive, and bring it to the place where it gives glory to God. In, In the New Living it says this, We destroy every proud obstacle. To help Stephen and, and to give him some props. Every proud obstacle <laughs> that keeps people from knowing God. Did you catch it? I'm glad. <laughs> Every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. In other words, now think about this. If it's a negative thought and we dwell there, it's going to keep people from knowing about God. 
So our negative thoughts are not just destroying us, they're destroying others around us. They're bringing them down. So we have to take those thoughts and every proud obstacle that comes between people and the true knowledge of God. Anything that is not worthy of praise, we can't allow it to stay there. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We teach them to obey Christ. In other words, we'll take a negative thought and we'll say, I'll tell you what you can do, negative thought. I'm going to show you what you can do. I'm going to come right over here and put negative thought into this place underneath my feet in Jesus' name. And I'm going to show how the positive thoughts of God, the thoughts that give glory to God, will overcome your stupid thought and we're going to have victory and triumph. The message we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies. The devil in this world has taught millions of warped philosophies. One of them being that you can entertain negative thoughts. It's not true. That's a warped philosophy straight from the pits of hell. That you have the right. Well, I can think on negative stuff if I want to. Well, go ahead and be proud and be in opposition to God and not have greater grace. That is your choice. I'm just telling you, it's not a good one. I just really made myself laugh on the inside right there. So anyway, it's not a good one. Tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. These negative thoughts are barriers against the truth of God. Fitting every, listen to this, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. In other words, all this stuff, see what happens is the devil will come and he will throw thoughts, emotions, impulses. And if we don't control them and make them fit into a structure of life of Christ, then they will take your life and they will turn it inside out, upside down, and rip you apart. And you know what? It's been working like a charm. Why? Because we have not been taking those thoughts captive. Now, here's the thing. Negative thoughts and problems between you and another person, right? Most of the time, Barrett, will you come back up here, please? All right, so say that she is the listener and I'm the speaker. Most every problem that comes between people is one of two things. Almost every single one. It it actually rarely uh, happens that somebody does something wrong in reality to the other person. A lot of times it might be something wrong, but a lot of times it's magnified right here in our head. And so one of the ways that it comes about is just bad communication. So in other words, it's either uh, all right, she didn't receive the communication properly. It's either I didn't communicate well, she didn't hear it well, or what it is most of the time is a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. All right? 
And then the other thing is that it doesn't have to do with communication between two people. It's just let's say that you know Satan comes over here and whispers in her ear that there's a problem with me. Or he comes and whispers to me, there's a problem with her. So in between gets this mountain of a problem that isn't even there. Now, here's, here's the thing with that. What do you do with the negative thoughts? See, they, they generally come from either a problem that's not even there or a miscommunication. That is the majority of the negative thoughts. Thank you. I remember um, there was something you and I, Lee, were talking about maybe... Might have been a year and a half or two years ago, but and then I was kind of preaching one night, and I was like, "How one thing?" But we were talking about a real situation not too long after that, where there was the devil came and whispered to this person this, and then he went and whispered to this person this, and then both of them were were talking about going, "Oh, I can't believe they're acting like that." And the other one's going, "I can't believe she's acting like that," and there wasn't anything wrong. And I don't. I remember um, I was preaching on that, and then we. You, I think you told me about an example that actually happened or something. And see, that's what the devil will do all the time. Why? Trying to drive division, trying to create negative thoughts that we will not control in our mind. Most of the negative thoughts that we have, it's about somebody else. Almost all of them is about somebody else. Uh, they can be about like healing you know well you're sick and you're going to get real sick and then this is going to be a problem and this but now here's the question where's that coming from is that coming from god why is it there then it's there to see if you empower it by entertaining it and the same thing with people so what do you do with that? We throw them away instantly. In other words, uh, here, here's one of the things that I wanted to point out. I'm not saying that you're never going to have problems. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you take a different attitude into the problem and you don't let the negative rule your thoughts and actions as you handle it. In other words, let's say, and I'm going to show you how to deal with a situation particularly between two people, okay? Let's say that, um, I'm just, I'm picking on you tonight. Let's say that Barrett causes me a problem, right? You have not caused me a problem. Don't want any condemnations living in here. Yeah, we're good, right? We're good. <laughs> All right, that's good. All right, I, the last 15 minutes made it kind of questionable on my side and about you in your head. Neg no negative thoughts, Barrett, now. Come on. All right, so let's say that she calls me a problem, and it's a legitimate problem, right? Now, in that moment, I can keep negative in it, or I can recognize, okay, this is a real problem, and again, remember the message a few weeks ago, impossibility to impossibility? You know, it's God's will to put you in impossible situations because he is really, really skilled at turning the world's impossibilities into possibilities. He's really skilled at 
teaching you and showing you and empowering you how to be an overcomer. But you got to have a problem to overcome. He's really good at teaching you how to be a conqueror, but you got to have something that needs conquering. So you're going to have problems. You're going to have persecution. The difference is, how do you deal with it? It's not that the problem's not there in the flesh. In the spirit, it's already handled through the blood of Christ. The question is, do you know that it's handled and do you know what the truth of God is so that you can bring the problem into obedience? So in other words, let's say that she calls me a legitimate problem. Well, that is not the beginning of my worry on how am I going to fix this problem? I don't know. And then I can't sleep at night. That's not it. That's the beginning of me taking that problem into the obedience of Christ and saying, okay, we might have had a problem. First thing is forgiven. Next thing is let's get this thing handled. And that means that I, I don't get this thing handled by going, oh my gosh, look at the size of that problem. That's not how you handle a problem. You do this, you go, problem? Look at the size of my Jesus. That's how you do it. And then all of a sudden, when you take your eyes off the problem and you start looking at Jesus, the problem just keeps getting smaller until I just don't see a problem anymore. And then all of a sudden, where are my thoughts? They are not on the problem. They are not on the negative. My thoughts are on, this ain't a problem. Even if I'm still staring me in the face. It's not a problem because the reality that I'm looking at is that everything must bow its knee to the name of Jesus Christ. And when that is more real to me than the problem that I'm seeing with my eyes or hearing with my fleshly ears, when that's more real to me, now all of a sudden the problem does not have a right to stick around. Does that make sense? But it all starts right here. Well, how does that ease you when you're in the middle of handling that problem? Because most people, when they're in the middle of the problem, they're just like, oh, I can't believe how much this has been so awful. And it's just a bunch of junk. (laughs) I'm being very animated tonight. I'm just helping y'all. Y'all look hot. Been like a long day. I'm trying to keep you awake. And I'm having fun too, so that's good. All right, so here's the thing. In the middle of a problem, most of the time people are going, God, this just sucks. This is just awful. It's just so bad. I'm just tired of this. God, you know, it's just awful. And their negative is so bad. Do you know what that does? Now, does that bring it into obedience of Christ? And so, let me ask this question. If you're not bringing your problem into the obedience of Christ, does Christ have a right to rule in your problem? Actually, that kind of attitude makes the problem or gives it potential to get worse and create problems. It wasn't too long ago... uh, I was listening uh, to somebody and they were talking about this problem that they were going to have. And the truth of the matter is, it should have been a blessing. But in their head, they saw it as a problem. 
And if they knew how to take the negative and turn it into a positive, their whole mindset would change and view, man, God just blessed me. And now, where would their happiness be? Would their happiness be high or would it be low? So all these people are looking for happiness and joy, but the problem is their own thinking. It's in those negative thoughts. The great example of that, and I, I use it all the time because I just got revelation on it and I can see it for what it is, is, is exactly what Jesus said when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, how many people have lived a burden-free, easy yoke life? How come y'all ain't jumping up and down and raising your hand and giving God the glory? Why? Because... Somewhere in between the time that Jesus said that and today, we didn't make it easy. We made it hard. Now, the question, though, is, did Jesus lie? Absolutely not. And the best example I know of that is when they're on the boat, Jesus is down in the bottom sleeping. He's asleep, and what are the disciples doing? The storm kicks up, and they are flipping out. And listen, they got it hard. They are in hard. They are not in easy. Jesus comes up to the top, sees the same thing they do. The same situation. And he, knowing that thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph, triumph and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in Christ in every situation, saw the situation and said, you ain't got no right to stay here. Peace, be still. And he was never in hard. He was always in easy. He was never in negative thoughts. He was always in a triumphant, give glory to God thinking. Same situation, same place on the planet, same storm, same problem. One group had hard. I mean, they were fretting. And one person had it easy and light. What, where was the difference? It was all right here. One person knew what God said and trusted that above what they saw. One person knew that no matter what I see, no matter what temptation I fall into, the temptation to drop faith, no matter what, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no matter what I face, I am capable with God of handling it. One person saw that and received easy. Now, I'm just asking you, right after that situation or right before it got solved, where's the joy level? Jesus? Pretty high. Disciples? Yeah, not so good. But our joy is supposed to be full. But it's not up to God to make you joyful. It's up to you to find the joy in what God has already done. To think, not negative, but think on things that are true, worthy of your praise. 
So it's not that I'm saying you'll never deal with problems. You will deal with problems. But your thought process in the middle from the time you find it out till the time it's solved is, has everything to do with one, if it will get solved. Two, are you giving glory to God in the whole moment? Or are you just giving glory to God when you see it with your eyes? Well, that's called, that. it says the just will walk by faith, not by sight. That's called walking by sight. And that is not who you are called to be. You're called to see a problem and go, watch Jesus handle this thing. It's going to be awesome. Amen? That's your job as the light in this earth. We're supposed to look at a country that's all flipped upside down and messed up and go, it's going to be all right because God is good. We're supposed to see the solution, not the problem. If it is a problem, here's what you do. First of all, if it's between two people, let's say the, the problem was you, and you found out that you were the actual problem, contrary to your beautiful thinking. <laughs> let's say that it was you, and you found out. What would you want? Mercy. I'd want yeah. some mercy, quick, and forgiveness. And so, if we're going to love thy neighbor as thyself, what do we need to do to that person? Mercy and forgiveness. And you know what? Even be willing to take the blame when you didn't do it. That's what Jesus did for you. God keeps taking me back to that. Number two, take the triumph attitude into it. Know that it will, listen, did God not promise you that everything works together for good for those who are called and love him? Is that not what he said? Then we can look at a situation and say, this is going to turn out for the best. I don't care if you have a flat tire. One day I had a flat tire, and, and it was right after church, and it was a great message. I'm like, why am I having this flat tire? But then I met a guy, and I got to tell him, hey, God's good. Can I pray with you? And at first he kind of blew me off. But then I, the Holy Spirit poked me and I asked him again. And, and then he walked back to the car. He said, you know what? Pray, pray for this. Well, I have no idea exactly what he was going through. I know he really helped me change a tire that day. That was a particular day. Most of the time I'm not in a suit on Sunday morning. That day I was. That's the day the tire got blown. And well, see, that would just make you want to be negative. And I was sitting there in my suit going, I cannot believe this. It's hot. I'm in a suit. The one day I'm in a suit and the tire blows. Dude comes up. He's got all the tools. He's got all the tools. Help. Just like, boom, boom, boom. You know, and I'm like, I know how to do all that stuff, but he was like impressive. Yeah. And then I got to pray for him. Oh, is the tire going to be fine? I mean, can't look, here, see, here's why people get upset. It's like if the tire, I'll just give you one example. Now I've got to pay extra for that money. Really, is God so small that he can't get money to you to replace that tire? Is that where your faith ends? I mean, my great, now we really got some stuff to work on. But it's true. And as all of a sudden we see something, we get mad because really we just end, well, any time... The majority of times, <laughs> Paige is getting tickled at me. Anytime that you come to a place of anger, 
take it as a symptom that's showing how short your faith is. Think on that for a while. Think of it as God's way of helping you out. Kind of like don't touch a hot stove. There's some nerve endings there. Anytime you get angry, you ought to be thinking, what, where is this showing the end of my faith? That's good stuff. Yeah, you're welcome. Amen. Don't take negative thoughts with me. All right, so take triumph attitude into it. Know that it will work out for the best. And here's number three. Listen, are you God's beloved? Does he love you? You know, let me tell you this, more than you can imagine. Do you have somebody in your life that you love, that you would do things for? If you could solve their problems, would you? Know this, that God wants it solved probably more than you do. And you know what else? He's probably willing to do it. And if you'll get the negative thinking and your uh, talents out of the way, he probably could get it done all by himself without you doing a thing. But the question is, as soon as I bring negative thinking into it, the problem is I'm bringing my own ability into it and not Christ. And that's why a lot of stuff doesn't get done. And that's why we produce a lot of our own problems. I would say, easy, the problems between people are things that didn't even actually happen. It was just a thought that the devil implanted somehow, some way. And then all of a sudden, you are walking through life with a, with a problem with somebody or with something or in something in your mind. And all of a sudden, it becomes, to you, it's a real problem and it's really hard. But in reality, it's not even there. And it all comes back to... What are you thinking about? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right, pure, lovely, of good report? Is there any excellence or anything worthy of praise in it? And if it's not, don't think on it. Take it captive throw it away, and go straight to this place, to what is true, right, pure, what is worthy of praise. In other words, as soon as I see a real legitimate problem, I can say, but my God shall supply all my needs. I can go and say, but God is always, praise be unto God, thanks be unto God, who is always leading me in triumph in Christ. Instantly take it to something that is worthy of praise in your head and in your thoughts. Amen. Lord, right now, we just thank you that you have given us the ability through Christ to not sit and steam in the problems. You have given us the ability in Christ to move straight to or towards triumph before we even see the problem. That you have given us the ability in Christ to not be held up, bound by these negative thoughts. Thanks be unto Christ who has given us the ability to break every chain 
pain of every problem and every negative thought in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to stay in the place of unhappiness and a lack of joy. But through Christ, you have taken us to all joy and all freedom and all fullness of life in every way, in everything. Lord, in Jesus' name, and just say it with me, tonight, I am free. In Jesus' name, tonight, I am free, and I will not be held in bondage to negative thoughts ever again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father, for your freedom. Have a great night. Open the eyes of the